Hello and welcome to a new episode of the CTO Show with Mehmet. My name is Mehmet and in each episode, as you know, I discuss different topics from digital transformation, cybersecurity, startups, entrepreneurship. And sometimes I have with me on the show subject matter experts and entrepreneurs who highlight some of their key findings about the latest trends in business and tech. And today I'm very pleased to have with me Artus who's joining me from France. Artus, thank you very much for joining me today. Nowadays, I prefer that the guests introduce themselves and they say what they are up to. So all the stage is yours, Artus. Hey, thanks, uh, Mehmet, for uh, having me today. So um, what can I say? Uh, first, you know, I'm someone that loves uh, adventure and sports. I guess that's important to me. I love uh, skiing, surfing. Uh, and I also practice combat sports, including MMA. So that's something I, I like to push myself, basically. Uh, and on the pro side, uh, I'm an expert at collaborative leadership or how to have people work together, solving complex issues or structuring companies by co-designing solutions or structures. So that's the, um, I guess that's the, you know, the main point. And I'm also the founder of a new startup uh, that designs a sort of collaborative control center, a digital collaborative control center. That's great to know. Now, you know what actually uh, attracted me, you know, to, to the uh, things that you do is that you usually help startups in scaling and then put, you know, the way together how they can, you know, go from wherever they are today to the next step. So, can you a little bit tell us more about, you know, this part that you are expert with and usually, you know, why startups at some stage would require, you know, someone to guide them in, in leading their teams to go to the next level? Sure. And um, first thing, you know, I don't think all startups need that, you know, people like me are not always relevant. I think that's important, you know, uh, to mention. Um, but when they call people like me or, or myself, I guess, you know, as you grow as a startup, you have more and more people coming in, joining the team, of course. Uh, and so, you know, you go from three, four, maybe five people naturally working together to a whole team of 20, 30 more people uh, that may even work remote. And so the idea is how can we structure our collective work uh, you know, that it's coherent, cohesive. Uh, that's easy and natural when you're a couple of people, you know, just uh, think about a couple of friends working on a project or a, a travel organization, you know, uh, or, I mean, organizing a trip together. That's quite simple. But when you get to a full group of people working together, that's where you need to structure things. And the most important thing that, you know, the main principle that, that you know, that drives that is, Frame, the frame always uh, wins over people, meaning for people to work well together, you know, to co collaborate or to work in a coherent way. Uh, it's not about telling people, hey, you should talk to, to each other or hey, let's collaborate better. It's more the frame you give, the tools will naturally have people collaborating together. So to give you one practical example for this is, Let's say you have a meeting, you know, we all, uh, whether you are 10 people startup or 50 people startup, have a weekly meeting. Um, if you, you, the, the frame would be a set of rules. 
hey, we'll listen to each other. We will um, uh, we'll speak uh, naturally and we, we can disagree. Uh, and roles, you know, I play the role of facilitating the team. Someone is an observer, raise his hand if we think we, we're not following rules. The simple fact, the simple fact of setting that frames, setting those rules, will naturally have people collaborating together. And that's very different from just saying, hey guys, let's collaborate, let's co-design solutions. So that's very important. So anyway, when people scale, when uh, people, when startups scale, more people, more complex to keep a cohesive way of working, that's where you need collaboration and that's where I can help a little bit. That's great uh, insight, Artis. Now, during you know, our preparation before we, we, we start you know, to, to do this episode together, I remember you talked about the importance of, you mentioned about you know, how to be cohesive in, in, in the team, but also you told me about the emotional safety and how this is important specifically uh, you know, in, in, in a place like a startup. So can you please tell us a little bit more about this concept of emotional safety? Sure. And just before I answer your question, I just want to go back to one point which I didn't mention just before sure. is as you scale up as a startup, as you move forward, um, things get more complex or say differently, how can I keep that agility, that ability to move fast, move fast as in uh, provide a new product to new customers or reply to many customer demands coming in. Uh, that's easy when you are just one, two or three people because it's easy mm -hmm. to move fast, right? I mean, that's just common sense. But when you're 50 or 100 people, it's much harder to get people moving fast. And that's where uh, collaboration or collective intelligence is most important. You may have businesses that are in a market that's not fast changing. It's not like technology evolving every six months or uh, customer demands evolving every couple of months. That's what we're talking about here. That's complex and there is no way to know what's happening next, as in you cannot predict the future. While in more established uh, markets, like even that is not even true really, but say selling cars, it's more established. It's not going to change in three months. That's less complex. It, it may be complicated, but it's not totally unknown, which is not the case for startups that are creating a new market. And where you need that agility, that's where collective intelligence and collaboration kicks in. Now, back to your question about emotional safety. Um, you may check that uh, after you listen or while you listen to this podcast is Google in 2012 uh, conducted a study called the Project Aristotle. And their question was, you know, what makes a team great? Uh, what makes the best teams, basically? And their initial hypothesis was, well, when you have the best talents in, you know, the talents that most correspond to what we need, the skills, the soft and hard skills we need to build our company, our team, that's when they're best. You know, it's just common sense, like the best players in the world playing a football game or a soccer game together. And, you know, to their surprise, they found that that's actually not true. Um, best talents might compose a good team, a great team, but not the very top. What they found is actually the main factor that drives uh, getting the best team is emotional safety or psychological safety. 
And in a few words, that's just, that just means I am not afraid of being myself. If I feel emotionally safe, I'm not afraid of being my best self, of expressing exactly how I feel, using my intuition to decide, using my intuition to go against what the rest of the team is saying, disagreeing. All of those allows to actually build up things together and to actually be agile because you're actually challenging one another. Now, the problem, you will say, well, of course, you know, everyone which is a little experienced and talented should do that naturally. But in fact, it's not that easy. And I'm going to explain why. Um, the reason, the main reason for that is if you think about a million years ago when, you know, we were uh, living in tribes, uh, let's say we were in little tribes in nature. Um, and the fact that we had a tribe, if we were kicked out of the tribe because we did something not well, we would basically die because we'll get eaten by a lion or something like that. We won't be protected. And this fear, this fear of getting kicked out or disconnected from our immediate social network stayed deeply ingrained in how our brain works. And even if we're not conscious of that, we would naturally always try and do things that are still aligned with our in, uh, uh, social group and our team. So naturally, uh, unless you've gone, done an immense work on yourself, you're extremely anchored, you will not try not to disagree too much or to challenge too much what's happening in the team. So when we're three people that we trust each other, maybe it's easy. But when you're 50 people, that's totally different. So the main factor to drive the best team, the most agile team, and to be collaborative is making sure they are, feel everyone feels emotionally safe. And I don't know if you want that now, Mehmet, but I can then explain how we do sure. that. Sure. Um, yeah. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's, uh, that's very great. And, you know, like this is also, um, I think it's in alignment with something we are seeing, um, especially in the recent years about how startups are trying to, you know, deal with people and, you know, like the, the way, you know, the, the culture, I would say culture building of, of companies is changing. So that's very, I would say, insightful. Um, what I, you know, want to understand more. So recently, you know, especially after the pandemic, uh, a lot of teams became working remotely, right? So how is it easy to use the, your, you know, this collaborative approach in a remote setup? Like, is it more challenging? Is it possible? What's your thought about that? So first, let's be clear, you know, I don't know everything about that. I think, you know, I'm myself, I'm still learning because it's quite new that we yeah. have uh, some, some startups are fully remote. Some others are hybrid, uh, as, you, as you know. And so you are listening, you who is listening, you, you, you see that. Um, but I think, the, yeah, the, the, this challenge gets a little more complex because when you have remote teams, you both need um, the ability to be collaborative from a distance, uh, which is maybe harder than when you see each other in person, because when you see each other in person, by looking at our eyes, how you, you, your body uh, language, uh, naturally our brain will process it and understand a little bit better others' emotions and feelings 
and thinking. So it would be naturally easier for anyone, whatever your talent or experience, to actually adapt how you behave and align with others, right? So when you are distanced, uh, that's, that's, that gets a little more complicated, even if you are on a visual call. So one first challenge. Second challenge, when you are um, fully remote, every single person in the team needs to be fully autonomous uh, by, by design, right? Everyone needs to be fully anchored, as in fully um, self-trust. I, I need to have a full self-trust. So whenever I decide or I work or I organize my day, my, uh, you know, my uh, agenda of the day, it needs to be naturally aligned with how I work, but also aligned with what the company is trying to do. So you need to get both great collaboration from distance, which is a challenge in itself, and also great ability to work alone. So, and, and those needs to also be aligned. So it's a double challenge, but it's very in, um, interesting. So first you need to, how can we collaborate better? So, it, you know, it's about the tools you use, of course, the Visio, the Slacks or other, but also how you rule those. What rules, what set of rules you set for those tools? Because it's easy to say, okay, we'll have a chat. We'll have a WhatsApp group, we'll have Visio, we'll have regular team meetings so we can ask each other how things are going, do projects together. That's great, but that's just one point. Remember, the main point for collaboration is emotional safety. And emotional safety comes from the frame, the rules, and the roles you set. So if you have the tools, Slack, Zoom, Teams, mm -hmm. whatever, but you don't have the rules that are co-designed with the team to how you use this, uh, those tools and how you can express yourself, it won't work. So first thing, the tools and the rules and the roles. Second, being fully autonomous as a single person working from a remote uh, location is how can I help each, as a leader, I'm talking as a manager, how can I help each person from the team to be at its full self? So that means how can I help you know, setting up uh, his routine. So for instance, myself, who works mostly remote, uh, I have my morning routine where I do some yoga and sports in the, in the morning. So it helps my brain set up. And then I set my objectives in the day. Some people don't like that. They would first get straight onto working or wake up later. But how can I help each individual person in my team to get his own routine or setup that is to be the best of himself? Why? I'm going to explain once again. When you are fully remote and you're not going to an office, you don't have that frame set up. Let's say I go to the office. My friends or my coworkers at the office generally arrive at 10 a.m., say. And when we arrive, we have a coffee together and we eat some nice Parisian croissant, for instance. <laughs> uh, yeah. that's, that's a frame that's set for me. So I know I wake up around 9, I get to the office at 10, I'll meet my friends and have this coffee. And that's all done for me. When I work remotely, I don't have this. So I need to set it up myself. And setting, setting that routine, that frame of work myself, requires a lot of energy. It requires also understanding, stepping back from myself. What, what do I like? What do I need psychologically um, uh, on the material side? And people are not always uh, very good or used to, that, to do that thinking. So in order, once again, to have the team work remotely uh, for each people is how can I help them set that frame? So 
a little coaching in a way. It's a little bit like coaching, um, but also what rules we set so that when we work together from distance, we are we feel safe. So I don't know if that helps a little bit. It's, you know, generic principles here. But... No, no, that's that's I think very informative. I would say Arthur's like uh, it's a good framework. I mean, and it's a good observation. Now back a little bit to what you do actually, and this question, um, it you know because you were discussing something, I had this question and then I need to go back. Okay. Now, what do you think is the main reason, you know, um, I would say, you know, the culture breaks in, in a startup, you know, I've seen this in, in multiple occasions. Um, when they grow, as you said, when they are like three, four, 10, even 50 people, everything is fine. But once they cross a certain number of number of employees, maybe revenue, I don't know, like there is something that happens there, right? And I was always curious to know, like, what caused this? Like, why the culture of startup cannot stay forever? So, again, this is my vision. So I'm not saying here is the truth, right? But this is why, what I have observed and what I get from my own experience as an entrepreneur and a team leader. First thing is when you start a company, the founders or one of the founders is responsible or accountable for the culture because they start from a vision. They have uh, something they have in their heart or really they want to impact some part of the industry. And so the culture comes from those few people or just one person. And as you grow the team, two, three, four, five, it's still okay, you know, because that person we're always discussing every day. So this culture sort of, uh, you know, prints on everyone and everyone is excited about it. But once you grow, the, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 more, then by design, it's impossible for, for a culture to be just in, uh, in, in, imprint, uh, imprinted everywhere. And also you start getting people that have different views of the world, mm -hmm. which is normal. We're, we're all unique. So it, it's, uh, it's normal. I would say it's not a problem. You know, if you are a founders listening here and you think, hey, my, uh, my, my culture is, is falling away. It's not that you are not good. It's natural. It's normal that the culture will start being more fragile as you grow beyond four or five people. It's just natural. Now the question is, what can you do? First thing, mm -hmm. first thing is, which I believe is the very best or the two most important things. First, as you grow beyond a certain number, say five or six people, you need to co-design this culture, co-construct it, build it together. Because beyond five again, from one to five, it's me as a founder or two co-founders that set the culture and the vision. Once you're above five, it cannot be, it's not sustainable. So we need to rebuild it or adjust it together. The, the word together is important. And it's, it's different from saying, this is different because I've seen that so many times. The founders or co-founders say, okay, we'll define it together. So they set a meeting in person, say, and they say, here is my vision. Here's the vision. What do you think? Questions, how, that's a participative way of doing things, which is already a good step. The real step to make it sustainable is we built it together. So we put everything blank and we say, okay, now we are here, we progress. What, 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 what are we trying to impact in society, for instance? So what, what is our, 
we're trying to do with our product and what do you feel as a team of 10 now is our specific values? How do we like to interact? What, what is our ethics, you know? So you built it together. You do a, a workshop, a brainstorming to build it. Why is it difficult to do this? I'll tell you why. And that's why I, from my experience, I would say 90% of founders won't do that because it gets yourself in a weak position. It gets yourself to say, I'm no more alone accountable for the culture. That's very hard because it's going to mean some other people, the rest of the team is going to be accountable, is going to take my role. So what's, if people take my role, what is my value? You know, maybe I, I have no value in this startup anymore, although I founded it. So it's very fear. It's, it brings a lot of fear. But in fact, it's not. It's actually a great way to be a leader, to actually help empower the team to build that culture. First thing, co-design the culture. And I would say start from being five or six, six people in the startup. First thing. Second thing, which is a little more subtle, is when you grow, you get people in the startup. Recruit for fit rather than for talent. Fit with your startup. Um, fit as in help anyone you're trying to recruit, find whether they're really in fit with the job or the startup, which is different from trying to see if the person's experience and talents are correct to the role you're trying to fill in. It's a different mindset because the, the mindset I'm talking about is the first conversation you have, somewhat, you have with someone should be a question, say, what are you passionate about? What, what is it that you are afraid of? What is it? And the question is not about saying you're good or bad. It's trying to see if there is a fit between you and what we're trying to build in the startup or if the startup is something that will help you actually express this. Uh, and, and once again, I, this is very important and this is very subtle because I believe someone, even with not even the actually hard skill to build a code or program that fits the culture, that really fits in their heart, like this is, they, they fit with the vision, they can learn how to code in a couple of months. And they will be much more uh, mid to long term, they will have much more impact on growing the startup than hiring the best developer, but that doesn't have an exact fit. And why am I putting that on, on the table here is that I have noticed because it's, I think, quite difficult that 90% in the case we recruit for talent or fit with a specific position rather than recruiting for a culture fit or a, vi a vision fit and a values fit. So two things, co-design the culture. Second, recruit based on fit with culture, vision, and values rather than just to fill a specific position. Artus, like you just mentioned something that I believe I shared uh, on LinkedIn a couple of months back, because always we see, you know, especially startups who start to recruit for their sales organization, and then they say, we're gonna hire a, the A team, right? The A team, you see, the A team. And, you know, like for me, the question was, okay, you want to hire the A team, but what about the B and C team? Like these guys, I believe if you train them and I read many books where, you know, and especially, you know, this is maybe in, uh, in, in uh, American culture and Canadian culture, we see it more where the guy, he would be like uh, in a failing team, they bring the, you know, the coach and you see, but are these, these are real stories. 
And then I see from the other side, why we always look for the A. I understand that, of course, we are in a hurry. We want to go to market maybe faster. We want to do better things. But why we don't give the chance for whoever is now you consider them B or C. I'm not talking about the B and C as a failure, you know, uh, or like uh, guys who are misfits or they, 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 they have something on the ethical side of the, of the story. I'm talking about people who just maybe didn't get the chance to be working in a good culture. And really, I like, you know, the approach you talked about that you don't have always to bring the best of the best because actually, and this is my question, uh, like, didn't you see the teams that they have a lot of A players, let's call them this way, have a lot of politics and, you know, they, they shift away from, from the culture or the mission and vision that they have in the first place? Yes, indeed. Uh, so, yes, uh, but it, it also depends, again, on the, on the management style because you may have an A team and with a management style that's actually making people again emotionally safe so they can challenge each other without feeling you know without driving their ego so without being in a conflict mode in a negative conflict i mean so that would work but if you have an a team without this uh, uh this this culture this frame that uh, allows to be challenged and to to challenge each other then it won't work one thing i want to i want to mention to you to your point is that you know, try searching for the best talents is, is, I'm not saying it's actually a bad way of doing things. I'm just saying you need to be conscious of what's most adapted to you. My belief is that when you are a startup that is trying to be very innovative, that's trying to bring very innovative market, uh, product in a new market on a fast growing market where there is a loss of uncertainty, as in you don't know what product will work. You don't know exactly how customers will react. That's where you need to recruit based on fit because that means you need to recruit on where people will be able to change fast. While when you are in a market that's more established, you can see behind me uh, this uh, plane part uh, because before I was in the, in the aerospace industry, uh, I'm an aeronautical engineer by training, you know, building a plane is something that is not changing as fast as artificial intelligence, right? So if, if tomorrow I start a plane company or I go back to work for Airbus, I want to hire more like a A-team, like people that would be the very best experts in aerodynamics, for instance. And that's okay because the market and how we design the plane is quite stable. Of course, I want to fit with culture, but the fit with skills and position, the, the importance will be maybe 70% or 60% and 40% fit on culture. While if I'm start a startup on regenerative artificial intelligence, I want 90% fit on culture and 10% on skills because the market is evolving so fast. So again, I'm not saying building an A team in the classical sense is bad, but I don't think it's adapted when you start something that's very innovative. Yeah, it's like there is no one spell that it's, it's like a cure for everything, which is... No, which is just... The, this is the normal. <laughs> so, Artis, you're working with a lot of startups, I know, and, you know, and talking about trends and, you know, what are the major trends now you are seeing, like, a little bit happening now? Of course, AI is top of mind, but what other um, new trends are you seeing in, in the market? 
So, I mean, this is a very vast question. So to be honest, I don't know if I'll answer it very, very well because it's... Um, that's fine. I, I, you know, I, I'm not someone that's going through all markets, but I, I guess, you know, the way I can answer it is what, what touches me more or what I appreciate um, is, is I, I start saying um, more and more, um, how you say it, uh, specific areas of startup. You know, like, I think like 20 years ago, or even further down, a startup would be something building computers, for instance, like Apple, or building something that's digital versus paper. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making big images here just to make my point, but a startup would be something that's about technology. That would be the generic image of, of, a, of a startup um, and, and something that's not going onto established market. Established markets, I'm talking about mobility, like cars and buses, for instance, or uh, agriculture, you know, about uh, uh, feeding people uh, or government institution. Startups in, in, in the classic mind, like many years ago, would be more attached to something digital. You see what I mean? Uh, yeah. Now, the big trend I'm seeing since a couple of years that's accelerating so fast is actually you now have startups that are challenging every single aspect of the economical uh, structure, but also of society as a whole. So you, now you have agri-tech, biotech, mm -hmm. health tech, sports tech, clean tech, uh, you, you, if you look at websites that sort of list uh, all startups, best startups, growing startups, you will see you need to filter and search for any of those specific domains to find the one you see. So my point, this is the big trend I'm seeing, and it's not only about artificial intelligence that we, we hear about every single day. It's actually looking that every single part of our economy and even politics are uh, being challenged or changed with startups. You, you even have, you know, civic or, or political tech startups. So startups, for instance, that will suggest a new virtual uh, or non-virtual uh, money, money system so that people can exchange goods, uh, buy things without uh, going through the normal euro, dollar, whatever uh, money you have in your country. And this is a new way, for instance, to, to make people more autonomous or to bring efficiency in the money market. This is pretty new. Uh, and this is, I guess this is the major trend that I see. Um, and why am I saying this is that, I think the reason I'm saying this is that if you're listening as a founder, as an investor, uh, as an entrepreneur, or you know, just interested in those topics, I think to dive in, whether you invest or your, your founder company, is also trying to, to tell yourself, which area do I want to impact? Uh, wh where do I want to have an impact? What's the meaning of me working as an investor, entrepreneur, or just uh, you know, an employee uh, in a startup? And I think the more you think about it, that's what also I was thinking recently, is that which area of the economy of society I want to impact? And it may be very different from thinking about agriculture to technology, education, we didn't talk about this, or health. Uh, and I think yeah. when, you, when you ask yourself, in my day-to-day -day life, in how I see the world evolving, which is the area that I want to impact, 
And you will see that now startups are going into each of those, which was not the case before. Yeah, so mainly it's the emerging tech, let's say. So anything, as you explained, uh, health tech, edutech, uh, you know, green tech, also we start to see space tech and so on. Um, Artus, like, uh, I know that you, you have a, a new startup, uh, you know, that, that you are building. Can, can you a little bit uh, tell us yes, more about that? No worries. Yeah, sure. Just had uh, my cup of water fall on the table, but it's okay. Um, yeah, so, okay. Um, yeah, so my new startup is, is, uh, is always on the same principles uh, or based uh, on the same principle that we discussed uh, before, which is, uh, this, this sense of collective intelligence and collaborative leadership. Now, the, the question I ask myself is today, when I work with startups, it's mainly about me or, you know, people being present uh, on video or, or in person, but present as in being there um, um, to, to drive that change or to drive that, uh, uh, that way of working. And so I thought, how can I develop a software that will not necessitate that I am there or people like me are there uh, to actually go towards uh, that type of leadership? And that's where I thought about, you know, developing a software that does that. And, and so that's where, that's why we're now on a, on a, what I call a collaborative control center or some kind of interactive whiteboard that the team can work on together. Uh, but, you know, there are many tools, I think, that exist uh, on that end. Um, but for probably the idea is being very uh, focused. And I'll give you an example, which is where we are starting, is um, for chief revenue officers. Chief revenue officers are, is a role that is growing very fast today because all startups that are growing fast themselves, they need sales marketing, customer success, partnerships, all working in alignment in service of revenue growth. While in a more classical sense, there has been uh, always a sort of silo between marketing, sales, customer success that was more separate. Each of those functions with very specific incentives and objectives that were not interconnected. In a fast-changing market, you cannot do that anymore to ensure long-term success and revenue for the startup. So those role chief revenue officers are kicking in and they must have all those functions working together in service of specific metrics. Our board is there to serve that and to serve to help those remote team sales marketing actually work together, um, share whatever day-to-day -day anecdote there is put it forward and say, oh, this is actually a, a weak signal that something is not working well in how we work together. And so when you detect one of those weak signals through this control center, that will trigger a collaborative action. Because of course, people will tell me, well, we can't talk to each other every single day, all, all day and night, otherwise we don't do our work. And so the system that we design is something that you can work together on live but it's also something that helps trigger a weak signal saying, hey, we need to stop, pause, and do a mini, I don't know, it could be a 30-minute session to understand what's happening and what we need to uh, um, evolve now. Yeah, so is it like uh, in uh, still design phase or is it like out to 
yeah yeah it's it's at mvp stage so what we're doing is uh testing you know the prototype if you will with uh with customers and and actually because i believe in that co-designing it's you know i don't have the answer the answer lies with uh, clients actually so it's about co-designing the product with them uh i don't think the product is perfect before you actually design it with the clients themselves uh so my posture is not to say here's the answer you should do is let's go through your day-to-day and let's see how i can help you make that day-to-day more efficient if you will that's yeah. how we do it great so I, I, what i would do like if anyone is interested in what artists just described so you know i will just put a link where you can find him on linkedin you can get in touch with him if you are interested to to test this and i think it's quite interesting idea honestly uh for cro's to you know have these triggers happen automatically which i believe you know from what uh, you know because you explained to me that before it can save time actually to the team and it can um avoid i would say surprises in the future so it's very exactly very interesting uh, one um before we close anything you you want to say artus before because we came to an end yeah i think the the thing i want to say which is more um I would say a, um, a more general vision is that today I see at, at least that's what drives me with this new startup, but also the further projects that I will do after. Today we see a lot, uh, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence, which I think is great. But I believe artificial intelligence is about multiplying our intellectual capacity. So if I take a general in- image, it's, you know, if we do, a, if we multiply three by five, we can do that three, five times, but artificial intelligence can do it 200,000 times at once. So it really augments our intellectual ability and self-learns, etc. But there is one thing which I believe is less developed today and which I want to work on, and this is what Proudly does, is how can we help automate, but also augment emotional intelligence and collective intelligence, which is two different things. Um, and so probably is is about making that new kind of technology available which i call augmented intelligence uh, which is it's not ai it's emotional intelligence and collective intelligence augmented which is i think different and that really does not really exist today or is really at the beginning you know like this is a space that personally i want to watch because i'm interested to see you know, how we can augment this. I have discussed like with a couple of guests as well about something similar, how we can leverage this to be used inside the real world um, from an augmented point of view, which is great. Well, Artus, thank you very much for the time today. Uh, I know you have a busy schedule, but your, uh, I mean, uh, the, the topics and, you know, the ideas that you share, pretty sure that they will resonate with a lot of founders, entrepreneurs, and even anyone who's in a leadership position, by the way, to think about, you know, the emotional aspect. Um, what I would do is I will, as I said, I will share the contact details of Artus. So if you are interested to know more about what he does, if you are interested to follow up his also startup journey, so you can follow up uh, him as well. And as usual, and before we come to a close, if you have any comments or questions regarding this episode or the show in general, Please don't hesitate to reach out to me by email, LinkedIn, or Twitter, which I use the most. Also, if you are interested to be a guest like artist today on the show, 
don't hesitate also to get in touch with me. I will be more than happy to discuss the topic and then we can arrange for it. And final thing, and it's a traditional thing, please subscribe to the channel if you are watching this over YouTube. If you are listening to the podcast, also please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are using. And don't forget to let your friends, colleagues, parents know about it because what I'm trying to do is trying to spread the knowledge as as much as possible. And thank you for the loyal audience who are encouraging me every time after each episode. Thank you very much for all the kind words that you are sending to me. And until we meet in the next episode, see you next time. Thanks a lot, Mehmet, and feel free to reach out indeed to everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you a lot.